you may be seated. And please open your copies of God's Word to Psalm number 7, please. To Psalm number 7. <clears throat> and we will endeavour to read and open this up in one evening. Psalm number 7. Uh, reading from the superscription, which is, of course, also uh, the text of God. Psalm 7. Shigayon of David, which he sang unto the Lord, concerning the words of Cush the Benjamite. O Lord, my God, in thee do I put my trust. Save me from all them that persecute me and deliver me. Lest he tear my soul like a lion, rending it in pieces while there is none to deliver. O Lord, my God, if I have done this, if there be iniquity in my hands, if I have rewarded evil unto him that was at peace with me, yea, have I have delivered him that without cause is mine enemy. Let the enemy persecute my soul. And take it, yea, let him tread down my life upon the earth, and lay mine honour in the dust, Selah. Arise, O Lord, in thine anger, lift up thyself because of the rage of mine enemies, and awake for me to the judgment that thou hast commanded. So shall the congregation of the people compass thee about. For their sakes, therefore, return thou on high. The Lord shall judge the people. Judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness and according to mine integrity that is in me. O let the wickedness of the wicked come to an end, but establish the just. For the righteous God trieth the hearts and reigns. My defense is of God, which saveth the upright in heart. God judgeth the righteous. And God is angry with the wicked every day. If he turn not, that is the wicked, he, that is God, will wet his sword. He hath bent his bow and hath made it ready. He hath also prepared for him the instruments of death. He ordaineth his arrows against the persecutors. Behold, he, that is the wicked, travaileth with iniquity, and hath conceived mischief, and brought forth falsehood. He made a pit, and digged it, and is fallen into the ditch which he made. His mischief shall return upon his own head, and his violent dealing shall come down upon his own pate, is his forehead. I will praise the Lord according to his righteousness, and I will sing praise to the name of the Lord Most High. Amen. Amen. When we examined the last half of Psalm six, we saw that we saw that the final uh, petition was um, was that of of praying to the Lord uh, an imp of an imprecation an imprec an imprecation imp imprecatory petition, uh, and that is pleading that the Lord. Uh, would bring uh, justice, that the Lord would bring a curse, the Lord would bring vengeance upon 
and on others. And that was just the last verse, really, of Psalm 6. Um, but Psalm 7, in its entirety almost, is that of imprecation. Uh, seeking that the Lord would help. And Psalm 7, does, although it follows on from Psalm 6, Psalm 6, uh, David's on the throne, but in Psalm 7 it would appear uh, that he is not yet on the throne, uh, but that he is being, he's being persecuted in some way. But let us then, we get some of that information from, from the superscription, we get also a little bit of that information from the uh, verse 4 as well, verse 4. So the superscription then, it begins with this strange word, a shigayon of David. And that's a, that, that word is, is nowhere else except in Habakkuk, uh, where it's used in the plural. Um, and the question is, what does it mean? Well, it literally means a wandering, a wandering. Uh, there's, there's a movement here, but it's not just a walking, a straight line. There's, there's a movement. It can even be said of, of a reeling. Um, that you're that you're sort of reeling from one side to to the to the other, um, and and one way of understanding that is it may be if it's if it's referring to the contents of the psalm, that it may be sort of like this 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 movement from left to right or up and down of emotions, uh, the strength of emotions, and I think it, that that would that would be well described, that would be a good description of of some of what we see here. That would be a description of most psalms, of course, because these, these psalms are not, are not uh, dry theological discourses, but they are the, uh, half of them at least, uh, are, are the cries of, of David and for various, or praises of David even. But it could also just be the name of a tune that they had, the Shigayon, the Wanderings, or the Wandering. Uh, or it could describe the way that the song uh, is fitted together, like we would say a, a canon, uh, a canon song is where something is sung and then repeated by another half uh, while they continue um, with uh, the rest of the song. And if you have no idea what, what I'm talking about, then I've maybe just confused you. But anyway, different types of singing, different types of song, it could also be that. So it's good to get that out of the way. Um, what that is. And then it says this, it, it is a shigayon of David, so David is clearly the author, and it, he sang this unto the Lord, and it's concerning the words of Cush the Benjamite. So this man, Cush, whom we find nowhere else mentioned really in the Bible. We know of the people of Cush, and that would refer to maybe Ethiopia maybe, and we, we saw that in the Table of Nations, and so as the name of that land, it, that we see elsewhere in the scriptures there are Benjamites, of course. Uh, but who is this Cush the Benjamite? And, and what we understand that he said something, the words of Cush the Benjamite uh, were enough to wound um, or to put fear, uh, maybe words of threat almost, uh, also, uh, but we're not sure. But clearly somebody who is maybe of the, the kindred of Saul Saul himself being a Benjamite, David being of the house of Judah. And so it's possible, as again I've read, I've read what Calvin has said on this and what Kyle and Dalich have said on this, it, it, is, it is possible therefore that he was a Benjamite and that he was like Doeg, like Doeg the talebearer who betrayed David to Saul. 
What is also linked in with the, with the contents of, the, of especially verse 4, where it says, Yea, I have delivered him that without cause is mine enemy, it, it might refer back to uh, where David uh, cuts off a portion of Saul's garment in, in the caves there and, and delivers him, does not kill him. But David, but Saul's name was Saul, was Shaul, and yes, he had his father's name was Kish, but it wasn't Cush, but he was a Benjaminite. Benjamite. So, yeah, there are some things that we don't know the details of, but we do understand, we do see the effect that it had upon David. So, it, it shows us this, that this unknown and um, not high-ranking or famous Benjamite uh, spoke words that were enough to drive terror into, into David as he's fleeing from Saul. Maybe we can bring that to, together, because he certainly seems to mention that incident in 4. And maybe the words were then a threat from Saul that aren't recorded, or he took words and, and brought them to Saul, and that brought um, David in fear of his own life. But what we can say this very clearly is that we have... A Benjamite against someone of the tribe of Judah. In other words, we have one of God's people hating and despising another one of God's people. And the more you read the Psalms, the more you'll see that this so frequently was the case with David. David, a man of God's own heart, and we imagine David to be this, uh, maybe not the tallest of men, certainly not as tall as Saul was, not, not literally head and shoulders above the rest of the people, as Saul was, but he was a man. I, I imagine him to be a handsome man, to be a, to be a brave man, maybe not the tallest of men, uh, but still. And, uh, and as is often said, a, a man after God's own heart. So a, a, a devout man, except with regards to the incident with Uriah the Hittite. And yet, the more you read the Psalms, uh, all the Psalms, and of course, as we, we understand that, that David wrote at least half of them, how often it is that this David is the victim of betrayal. He's the victim of hate. He's the victim of th either actual violence or threatened violence. Think, but this David who became the king, you know, Saul only slew his thousands, but David is tens of thousands, a great warrior, um, a great man, even, even now the Jews would look back uh, to David as one of their great, great figures, even that, uh, the star that they've, uh, that they've adopted uh, for their flag. And we won't go into the details of the Star of David, but that's what they call it. They call it the Star of David. And even though they have great respect for him, what do we see in the history of, when we read through the Psalms? Really, that's, that he was often persecuted and hatred. He had his friends who betrayed him, who became backstabbers, who spoke bad things about him. And this is David. So what does that tell us immediately? If a hero of the faith like King David could be treated like that, either from family or from fellow members of the people of God, well, we should also in some ways be forewarned and forearmed that it could happen to us. And when that does happen, when we also have words that are spoken against us, or even worse, hate and slander, uh, and those words can be translated and understood as slanderous words, Calvin certainly uh, calls them slander. 
You know, it will also grieve us and it will also disappoint us, but it is also, unfortunately, part of the state of sin and misery that we are in, even though it happened within the people of God. And it's a shocking truth, but David dealt with it, and no doubt uh, some of us, if not all of us, have dealt with it or experienced it or seen it happening, and we know it happens. Should it happen? No. Do the Scriptures say it, it, it should not happen? Yes, they're very clear. Old Testament, New Testament, very clear that this is not the behavior of the children of light, and yet it happens, and it happened. But I would say this also, that the hate and the despising and the slander and the rejection that David suffers here all points to what also will happen with the greater David. He who sits on the throne of David even now, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, considering then as a foreshadowing of the hate and the slander and the rejection that Christ himself received because he came to his own people. He came to his own people, uh, but they rejected him. John 1 and verse 11, he came unto his own and his own received him not. His own received him not. Interestingly, as I was reading through this and examining uh, this, this psalm, I noticed verses 1 and verses 3 all begin with the same, the same, um, the same phrase, O Lord, my God. O Lord, again, my God in verse 3, reminded me of what Thomas said when he uh, saw not only saw the Lord Jesus, but he had, his, he had the opportunity to put his fingers in the wounds. And that's exactly what, the, what Thomas said in John 20 and 28. Said on, and Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God. My Lord and my God. So 1 and 3, verses 1 and 3 begin with the same word. And, but they're not a confession of faith as Thomas gave. Uh, but they are a cry for help but both directed to the same Lord and Saviour. Both directed to the same Lord and Saviour. So it's a cry for help, and hence the title, The Judgment Seat of Christ. The Judgment Seat of Christ. And so let us then uh, open up uh, the Word. I think we're... I think is that uh, Carol's coming in? Is that? Hello? We'll just wait for a minute. You're very welcome. So we're just opening up uh, Psalm 7. We've had a bit of an in words of introduction. So David then, burdened by unjust slander, burdened by it, feeling the effects of the threats of whatever that, that was said, calls upon God to be his advocate, to be his judge, to be his defender. And what we see also that he commits his innocence to the perfect and just protection of the Savior. So he's coming to the judgment seat of Christ in prayer. And we see firstly the refugee's song in verses 1 and 2. The refugee's song, because it says in the superscription that it is that Shigayon of David, which he sang unto the Lord concerning the words of Cush the Benjaminite. So the first verse then, O Lord my God, in thee do I put my trust. Save me from all them that persecute me. 
and deliver me. So there's a faith there. In verse 1 especially, there's a faith that he has because he says, Lord my God, in thee do I put my trust. And that's a very good Old, Old Testament Hebrew expression for what we would use a different expression in the New Testament, is I believe thee. I have faith in thee. And that's what he says. In thee do I put my trust. O Lord, my God, I believe thee. I put my trust in thee. I put my life in thee. And he says, save me from all them that persecute me and deliver me. So he says, I trust thee. And he trusts him for certain reasons. He trusts him to be his what? To be his deliverer from them that persecute him. To be his redeeming God. And that's really the core of belief in God. So we're not just believing in God because we like some religious uh, tradition. We're not just believing in God because we like ritual or we like having the idea of a God. But we come to God because we need a redeemer. We need to be redeemed. And this is what David is saying. He says, I I trust in thee, I I believe in thee, and I need thee to redeem me. In, In many ways, we could look at those verses and say, well, this is, as it were, a sinner's prayer. I put my trust in thee, save me from all them that persecute me and, and deliver me. So we see the faith he has that, to begin his song as a, as a refugee. And I, I use that word refugee uh, because we know that David was a refugee. He was, he was fleeing. He was seeking refuge from the hatred of, of Saul, of Saul's house, except for Jonathan, of course, and from the people that supported Saul. And yet he still he begins this song with faith in, in a similar way that we can begin prayers uh, with, with, with songs of praise before we get into the meat of our needs which is the example that the Lord gave us with the Lord's prayer you know, our Father which art in heaven hallowed be thy name thy kingdom come thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven and then our own personal petition give us this day our daily bread and, and so it continues a good example there also of, of focusing ourselves upon God, upon God's goodness and upon God's help before we bring our own petitions before him, which he does immediately in verse 2. So he's saying, he's praying for that, that deliverance, that he would deliver him. And then he says, lest he tear my soul like a lion, rending it in pieces while there is none to deliver. So there's after faith, there's also an expression of the fear he has. He has a... He has a he has a must be a well-founded fear for his own life. And he has this description of a lion. What would a lion do? He's expecting imminent attack, imminent death. Around every corner, suddenly a lion will spring upon him and tear him to pieces. And so that gives the idea of the, of the imminence of it, how, how quickly it's going to happen, but also how, how fearful he is for his own demise. So these words that he heard, the words of, ben, of Cush the Benjamites, were serious words. Maybe a serious message from the king. So the refugee's song begins with faith and then fear. And then he comes before the Lord in his prayer as he's becoming, bringing his petitions before the judgment seat of Christ. He then reveals to us his innocence. David's innocence in verses 3 to 5 because he comes before the Lord saying that there is this terrible fear, this terrible danger that could happen at any moment and it will just mean the death of me. 
and he brings his innocence before God. There in verse 3, O Lord my God, if I have done this. And what is that this? Well, that might be part of the false accusation. It could be the words of Cush that are saying uh, to the king Saul, you know, that David's been doing this and guilty of that, and that was enough excuse for Saul to, to get another army together, as happened so frequently in those years of refuge. So that's not clear. Whether it's referring backwards to what the words were, or it's pointing forwards to that which is now explained to us, which is this. If I have done this, if there be iniquity in my hands, if I have rewarded evil unto him that was at peace with me, yea, I have delivered him that without cause is mine enemy. So you have the false accusation, and then he brings the true dealings. He says, well, I am not guilty of any of these things. My hands are clean. I have done nothing against that, that, that Cush, the Benjamite. And we know he'd done nothing against Saul, his own king. In fact, he had been a blessing to Saul, keeping the borders clear of the, of the Philistines and other, other, other enemies in the time of Saul's kingship. And so he comes and says, no, my hands are clean. I have done nothing that deserves this behavior, that deserves this hatred, that deserves this threat. He says, if I have done this, if I have done this, then we come to the test of truth, and in verse 5, well, let the enemy deal with me, if it is true. But of course, he's coming before the Lord knowing it's not true. And so this is part of his pleading. Part of his pleading unto the Lord, let the enemy persecute my soul. Let him take it. Yea, let him tread down my life upon the earth and lay mine honor in the dust. So not just his physical life, but also his reputation. So maybe these two things were were part and parcel of what Cush the Benjamite was involved in, which caused David to fear greatly, and so much so that it causes him to compose a psalm. So moved. And so important was that psalm that the Holy Ghost has ensured that it is in the canon of Scripture. Therefore, it is essential that we, that we try to understand this, and, and what would God teach me from this? What would God prepare me for from Psalm 7? Let him take my life. Let him take my reputation. Let him crush me. Tread me down. Selah. As we've looked at the word selah before. Think on that. Think on that. Pause. Think on what that means. Think of also in the fact that he can come before the Lord, that he has earnestly sought to live for God and to live in God's way, to be a child of the light, to walk in honesty in his dealings before other men. And then he can go with a clear conscience before God and say, God, these enemies are dealing with me as if I had done them wrong, but that is not the case, but they are doing me wrong, deliver me. Deliver me, Lord. And so he's praying for God's justice, for God's, not just the deliverance from those people, but that God would deal with those people. And we see that at the beginning of verse 6. We've seen the refu refugee song in verses 1 and 2, David's innocence in verses 3 to 5, and now God's justice from verses 6 to 10. Arise, O Lord, in thine anger, Lift up thyself because of the rage of mine enemies. 
and awake for me to the judgment that thou hast commanded. So he's seeking there the vengeance of God. And it's interesting how he then not only declares his own innocence of guilt before these people, therefore these people are for, for no reason, for no valid reason are attacking him, but then he says that these people are raging against him because he now multiplies the people we see. He says, because of the rage of mine enemies. So it's more than just the words of Cush, but it's whatever effect and whatever context, historical truth that that's all mixed in with, that he has many enemies and they're all raging against him. He says, they're raging against me. Lord, let me see thy righteous anger standing up uh, on my behalf. And so God here, he's to be judge, jury, and executioner to deal with this. And that's the safest place, as we looked at last time. It's asking Lord to deal with these things. is not us taking vengeance. It's asking the Lord to whom vengeance belongs to do that, to do it in that way, that we would not be, for we would be guilty of sin. Even when the Lord has used nations in the past to punish other nations, those nations who did the punishing, we also know were also punished because they did it sinfully. The Lord allowed these things to happen for his greater end. But even they were dealt with. And so the best thing to do is to leave that vengeance uh, up to God, and that's what David is doing. David is not saying, Lord, give me an opportunity that I could get my sword and, 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 and lay it into him. Saying, Lord, arise, O Lord, in thine anger, because we know that the Lord is, has an anger towards those that would touch the apple of his eye. It says, lift up thyself because of the rage of mine enemies, and awake for me to the judgment that thou hast commanded. So he's seeking the Lord to take vengeance. He's seeking also God's justice for God's own glory in verse 7. So he's bringing it to the Lord in this way as well. He says, So shall the congregation of the Lord compass thee about, for their sakes therefore return thou on high. So the, so the idea is that he's missing the Lord's presence in dealing with this problem, and as it were, the Lord would raise himself up, that he could see the Lord at work, that the people could see the Lord at work. Um, so this is a poetical language to help us understand the Lord uh, rising up as a, a, like a king or a, or, or, a, or, or a body of God rising up, uh, maybe in the sense of rising up uh, from the slumber, rising up from, the, from their beds and, and putting on their armor and going out and doing what they need to do. That can also be the idea of those words to hear that we have raised. But what he's saying is, is the Lord, that when thou doest those things, thy people will be gathered around they will be worshipping, they will be grateful for what he is doing. And so he's to do it, not only because vengeance belongs to him, but also because his, the glory, it's part of the glory that he receives from his people because he does this. So shall, verse 7, so shall the congregation of the people compass, compass thee about. For their sakes, therefore, return thou on high. So he's not just considering himself. He's also considering the greater good of God's people. This is not good that this is happening. And therefore, yes, Lord, um, arise and, 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 and deliver me those that, from those that persecute my soul, but also for their sakes, for the congregation of the people. 
therefore return thou on high. So for his glory, and that his judgment would be carried out, verses 8 to 9, the Lord shall judge the people. The Lord, the Lord will judge all the people. I suppose in the strict context of what we read, the Lord will judge his people. So those in there, there in the Old Testament church, all of them, they will be judged themselves, all of them. And then he says, judge me, O Lord, judge me. Which refers us back to his, his, his claims of innocence in the previous uh, verses there in verse, verse 4, 3 and 4 especially. Judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness and according to mine integrity that is in me. And we'd be careful, of course, that we're not saying that, that David thought that himself sinless. That, Lord, look at my sinlessness. No, he's saying, look at my righteousness. And we understand that the Old Testament saints understood very well that this righteousness that they received from God was received by faith. And it wasn't their righteousness, but it was by faith that they received it. And we can go back to Romans 4. Romans 4 describing justification uh, by faith and uses the example of whom? Of Abraham, a man that existed, uh, that lived maybe 1,100 or 1,200 years before David, whose own righteousness was only because of his faith in God. So we, we could translate this, judge me, Lord, according uh, to my faith. The fact that, Lord, I, I, I am to be judged according that I am, that I am truly a, a believer, a true believer. And then he moves on to say, and according to mine integrity. Well, I would suggest to you, one is referring to faith, and the other is referring to a sanctified life. The integrity that the Spirit of God is working within David. I am thy child, I'm filled with thy Spirit, and thy Spirit is at work within me. Judge me according to those things. W would we not do the same? And we would then bring in the name of Christ. That we were to stand before the judgment seat uh, of God... And God would, you know, these are all these sins you have before me. I, I, you know, what do you say? And you can say nothing. But I am guilty, and yet, look unto Jesus. Lord, look unto him. He is my righteousness. He is mine integrity. I trust in thy Son. And all my guilt and all my sin was burnt out on him. So seeking the judgment of God, but also seeking the protection of God there in verse 10. He moves on to, oh no, verse 9, I've missed out, sorry. Oh, let the wickedness of the wicked come to an end. Is that not the prayer of the church of all, of all ages? Let the wickedness of the wicked come to an end. And maybe that's been your prayer. Maybe you've seen violence on the streets. Maybe violence and, and wickedness has touched your family or, 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 or yourself in some way. And your desire is, O oh Lord, do away with the wicked. Lord, do away with sin. Do away with the wickedness. Let it all come to an end. But establish the just. For the righteous God trieth the hearts and reigns. And that is, again, that's, a, that's something that points uh, toward eternity. That, it points toward the Lord finishing his work of salvation in his people. The consummation of redemption is the phrase is when all things are fulfilled in Christ and all of Christ's people have been saved. 
that that's when the wickedness of the wicked will come to an end and that's when God will fully and eternally establish the just to live with Christ. For the righteous God trieth the hearts and reins because there is a judgment coming. There is that final judgment and the idea that God trieth the, the heart and the reins is, is very much that he, he, he tries, he tests, he judges the inner man. The inner man. We won't go in and explain that, the, the expression hearts and reins. Reins being an old, an old word for kidneys. They're both part of the blood system, of course. One for pumping the blood, one for cleansing the blood. And I think we've, we've talked about this before now already. And then my defense is of God. He wants God's protection. My defense is of God. The only place he's looking for defense, for, for, for help and deliverance from his enemies is from God. Hence, this imprecatory song, this psalm that he's singing to the Lord, my defense is of God. And then we have that verse 11. And verse 11, the second part of which uh, talks about divine retribution. And again, this is, as we were thinking about in Psalm 6, that, you know, that the Lord does chastise his own children, and at the end that the children can um, pray a prayer of imprecation that their enemies would be dealt with by God, as only those two doctrines are not, are not taught or even loved in much of evangelicalism, but they're in the Bible. And then we come to Psalm 7, and we come to verse 11. And again, it is something uh, that the world uh, of broader Christianity does not like. It says, God judgeth the righteous, righteous, and God is angry with the wicked every day. And that's, uh, that's an aspect of, of gospel preaching that people are not happy with. They, they like to think that God l loves the sinner but hates the sin. And that is contrary to this verse. It actually said God hates the sin and the sinner. But God is merciful to the sinner in the gospel. Outside of the gospel, outside of Christ, outside of the truth of repentance and faith, God is angry with the wicked every day. They are dead in trespasses and sins. They hate him. They hate his son. They hate the truth. But in the gospel... The love of God is revealed through Jesus Christ. So we see God's wrath when we're considering the divine retribution. And I want to just move very quickly that we finish this psalm this evening. And then he mentions the outworking of the wrath in verse 12. And again, we have this Old Testament terminology. So we have the Old Testament terminology for faith and believing is, is putting trust in God. That's just from the, the language well translated from the Hebrew language. And now he talks about if he turn not. And that word turn is, is just the, the, the word, um, Hebrew word shuv, and that just means to turn, as in I, I would turn around. But it also means turning away from sin. And so we could translate that, and it is a valid translation. It is the Old Testament word for repentance. So putting your trust in is believing and turning is repentance. If he turn not, if he does not repent, then he says, well, God's wrath is upon them, and death to the unrepentant. This is, this is, this is uh, clear, and in some ways difficult doctrine, but true. If the sinner turns not, it says, God will wet, that is, sharpen his sword. He'll wet his sword. 
He'll make it good and sharp, and he hath bent his bow, and he hath made it ready. So we see that there is death to the unrepentant, and that God has providential dealings. That in God's providence, how he, how he determines and guides everything that happens in the world, that there will be a sword, there will be an arrow uh, coming. Because he says in verse 13, continuing that idea, he hath also prepared for him, the unrepentant, the instruments of death. He ordaineth his arrows against the persecutors. Now, notice the word, the persecutors there, those that hate Christ, that hate Christ's people, and even within the people of God where there is hate and division because that's the strict context of what we're looking at, a Benjamite against a man of Judah. Bringing us to then verse 14, the personal recompense that is to be given the personal recompense that is to be given. He says, Behold, he travaileth, he works with iniquity, he hath conceived mischief, he hath brought forth falsehood. Uh, and these are very much like uh, James's description of sin. He talks about sin when it has been conceived and it is, it is brought forth and it brings forth what? Death. It, 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 it's conceived and it gives birth to death in the language of, of James and I'm not doing James any justice at all. James 1 and verse uh, 15. He says, But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bring, bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. It's the same language. It's the same doctrine. So these are unrepentant. They hate the people of God. They're f filled with sin and mischief. Bring forth lies, falsehood, full of iniquity, that is lawlessness. He says he made a pit, he digged it. And we well imagine, we understand from the context that that was for David. He's digging a pit and it's saying, and it's fallen into ditch which he made. He's fallen into it. You see that the, 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 the personal recompense for his own wickedness has now come back, as it were, and, and, and bitten him in the face. You know, he'd set something up and it had come back upon himself. His mischief, and this is what then verse 16 goes on to explain, his mischief, his, 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 his evil, shall return upon his own head. So he thought to do these terrible things against David or these many enemies against David and David saying, well, the Lord will just turn it all back on them. It will, as it were, this bomb that they're making to kill me will explode in their face. It will come down upon his own pate, upon his own head. And then we finish with verse 17. The, we see the song of the redeemed. So we've seen the refugee song as we've opened it up. It is all of his. This is all the refugee song, of course. Uh, David's innocence, God's justice, the divine retribution, and finally the song of the redeemed in verse 17. There's two parts to it. I will praise the Lord according to his righteousness, and I will sing praise to the name of the Lord most high. So I will praise the Lord according to his righteousness. God is righteous. God is, God is righteous in judgment because God will judge the righteous. He will also judge the wicked. He's angry with the wicked every day because it's a righteous anger. It is a holy anger. 
And he's righteous not only in that judgment, because the judgment is righteous, but he's righteous in covenant keeping, in keeping all of his promises, in saying, call upon me in the day of need, and I will answer thee. And this is what David is doing. Save me from all them that persecute me and deliver me. And here is the, the, he finishes off this prayer, this song, with declaring that truth, that I will praise the Lord according to his righteousness. He's right. He's right, he's good, he's pure and holy in all that he does and all that he says. His promises of deliverance will be done. And so he has great hope that these prayers will be answered. We do not see the prayers actually answered in this psalm. In other psalms we do. In some psalms it's left very open-ended, but this one he has that joy that, and praises the Lord for his righteousness, but also his description of God, that God is the Lord most high. Meaning what? Well, he is the most exalted one. He's calling upon the, the God, the one God, the one God who is in heaven, is therefore most high. But God is therefore above all the problems and above all of David's enemies, looking down upon the enemies, over them, and able and most able and easily able to deal with them. And so having brought all, cast all your cares upon the Lord, as our brother preached on the Lord's Day morning, having brought the pain and the anguish and the disappointment and the fears that you have before the Lord, you can finish your prayer. I will praise thy name, for thou art righteous. Thou art trustworthy. Thou art righteous in all that thou doest. So how the Lord will then deal with all of these problems and these people that he's cast about before the Lord, as he's come before the throne of grace. He's trusting, Lord, to deal with it in the Lord's way, because thou art righteous, and I will sing praise to the name of the Lord because he's gone to the highest authority. He hasn't started with the arm of flesh. He hasn't started with carnal advisors. He's gone straight to the God Most High for it to be dealt with. And it's caused this fearful David to praise and sing the Lord's glory even at the end of the psalm. Let us remember to do these things and to praise the Lord for he will help us. He will help us beloved of the Lord Jesus Christ. He will help us, and we can trust him to do so. Amen.